everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, it's an in-memoriam episode. We are celebrating the life of an actor uh, who has recently left us. It is the legendary... Cloris Leachman, who passed away at the age of 94 a couple of weeks ago. We asked you out in the wide community, what Cloris Leachman film would you like us to review? You could have picked the one that she won an Oscar for. You could have picked her amazing film debut in the 50s. But no, you picked Young Frankenstein. And I love you all for it. (laughs) Uh, Because any excuse to watch Mel Brooks, um, I will happily take. Joining me as always, we have someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film and returning to the podcast for the first time in a year and a half. It's Ryan Hunt. Hello, hello. Ryan, you you come on once and then you break our hearts by not coming on again for a year. Treat him mean for a year and a half and keep him keen. Well, (laughs) we're keen and you're here. So welcome back. Thank you very much for having me back. Um, It's... uh, just for the folks at home, Ryan, because uh, it has been a, a little while between drinks, uh, who are you and what do you do? Sure, why not? Uh, yes, I'm Ryan Hunt and I'm a, a local Perth kind of performer and musician and general artsy, fartsy kind of dude. Mm. Um, uh, I'm also studying speech pathology at the moment. That's uh, fun. That's probably changed. That is different. Since, yes. Yeah, that, that's new. Yeah, I'll update my fact sheet there. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah. Happy to be here. Okay, you've not seen Young Frankenstein. No, I have not. What do you know about the film? Um, look, little to none. I'm going to be real. I know that it's a two-word title. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that it's. Uh, I'm going to have a punt and say it's pre 2000s, and I'm pretty sure I saw an audition notice once for a play, so or a musical. So I think it's either was or became uh, a stage version. All of those things are correct. So ding, well, ding, ding. well done. How many points? Uh, three points. <laughs> three one points. for each. Uh, but it does indicate that you maybe perhaps are coming into this very blind. Oh, quite, quite blind. Blinded, <laughs> blind, deaf, uh, limited sense of touch. Yeah, Excellent. all the senses are down. All right. But well, ready to be dialed up. Excellent. Well, joining us as our guest who has seen the film and someone who will hopefully be able to guide you through this particular film, <laughs> it is Dr. Ellen Sears. Hello. How are you, Dr. Ellen? Very tired. I spent six hours teaching drama to small children today, mm-hmm. so I'm ready to sit down with some pizza and watch some Mel Brooks. I'm very <laughs> pleased that this is the film that we're doing today, because mm. if it was something very like intellectual and like thought-provoking, I may have just fallen over. Excellent. So I'm very excited. <laughs> so, it's a good fun one. <laughs> in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, mm-hmm. um, what, can you, what can you tell people like Ryan, who haven't seen Young Frankenstein, what, what's it about? Um, basically it's what would have happened if, uh, Mel Brooks had written Frankenstein instead of Mary Shelley. Yeah. That's, that's more or less it. Um, you are correct. It has been turned into a musical. That is something that happened, um, like in the last 20 years. Like it's Mm -hmm. quite a, it's quite a, it's quite a recent one. Um, it happened after they adapted the producers for the stage as well. Um, it's, it's an okay musical. Mm. It's not like super duper amazing, but it's fun. Um. Yeah, I like I like I like this film. It's a nice kind of um, pastiche of like your classic black and white Hollywood kind of horror films. And having just recently um, been part of the kind of extended review for Dracula, I'm really interested. The the 1931 Dracula with Bela Lugosi. I'm interested to watch this now through that lens of kind of going like that old school black and white horror films. To this mm, and seeing w- what the mimicry is yeah because yeah. it, it, it's it's a film that i really like um I, I mean i really like a lot of mel brooks's films and it's it's not it's not my absolute favorite of his um but it but it is up there and it's one that every time i've watched it i've been surprised how much i've liked it mm. more than i yeah. thought i did um i think a lot of that is that some some of mel brooks films really like tap into some things and you're like oh that's like very like on the edge of being like not okay yeah and some of it has since tipped over into and some of it has since tipped over like um history of the part history of the world yeah there's bits bits of that where it's like oh no that's not cool anymore no that's not good Um, idea but but yeah i i I kind of feel like young frankenstein at least the last time i watched this was was when gene wilder died so that was five years ago gosh um 
that that was the he last time. He did it, by it. the way. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't. I'm putting pieces together. I think I could act it out at this stage. Just yeah. about, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I remember watching it then and thinking this this holds up. This is pretty good. There aren't too many things that make you go, oh boy. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of curious because I remember watching this film as a kid mm. and thinking it's funny, but it's not hilarious. Mm. But I think it's because I was too young and i didn't have yeah. the context of what it was mimicking yeah um so i think it, i think that is kind of a key thing for this film mm. uh so with all that being said shall we watch young frankenstein sure don't see why not okay <laughs> for those of you who are listening at home pop on those dvds load up those streaming services and prepare to put on the ritz as we watch young frankenstein <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Young Frankenstein by we, I of course mean Dr. Ellen Sears. Hello. And Ryan Hunt. Hello. Ryan, that was your first time watching Young Frankenstein. It certainly was. What did you think? <laughs> uh, look, it was a heap of fun, to be honest. Didn't mm-hmm. know what I was getting in for. Uh, when you hear Gene Wilder's in it, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah. all right, here we yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, a lot of fun. Mm. It, it is really nice to come back to it after a few years and find that it is just as fun from, from like someone who's yeah. watched it a few times throughout my life. Um, I was, I was quite relieved that, yeah, <laughs> that, sure. that it held up. Um, uh, Ellen, how, how was it for you coming back for the first time in a few years? Yeah, it was pretty much the same. I'm always, because it's usually a quite a chunk of time between rewatches for me for this one. Um, there's always little things that I'm like, Oh yeah, this joke. Or like, ah, oh. I completely forgot that that joke was even in there. Mm. But that's really funny. Like, cool. Yeah. So that was nice. Yeah. It's always nice coming back and just being like, that's right. This is this is, this is good fun. Yeah. Um, the story, um, such that it is, is a very familiar <laughs> one. It is, it is the story of Frankenstein and his creature, uh, except retold with a with a comic flair. Um, and I think and it's really in the not in the present day mm. of when it was filmed, but sort of like in that nineteen thirties forties movie era yeah i think it's really interesting that they made the choice to to ground so much of this film in that 30s look Hmm. i think that makes sense if you think about like obviously we just watched um bella lugosi's dracula which was 1931 and a lot of those monster movies were coming out in like the 30s and then going a little bit into the like the 30s was kind of that there was a big chunk of them Hmm. all came out at the same sort of time so yeah, I think that kind of makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense for mm. what they were trying to do here, which was kind of pastiche those films mm. and kind of and play with that kind of feel and look. Mm. And and Ryan, I, I'm not familiar with. Uh, let, let, let's do a little bit of a, a filmic dipstick. I'm not familiar with uh, <laughs> your your sort of history with. Um, let's call them black and white movies. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. How, how sort of, um, as, as like a new time viewer to this, what, what's your sort of experience with those 30s horror films? Um, I think, look, I, I definitely have an, a subconscious, shall we say, understanding of, um, I suppose, some of the tropes and I can't, couldn't even identify exactly where they've kind of sunk in or like where I have, ex- what my expectations for mm. um, those, yes, black and white films might be but uh a part of your brain just seems to recognize it whether or not you watched them as like a child or what because I, I i can't list off any mm. that you know i'd go and seek out per yeah. se but i feel but, like it's the kind of stuff that's probably been parodied in like bugs bunny cartoons yeah or like yeah. the simpsons exactly. or, very much or like other pop culture things yeah. so there's a lot of stuff that you kind of recognize from other people having already ripped it off mm. so the fact mm. that these guys have ripped it off so well as well it's like mm. oh yeah this is just like part of a wider public consciousness yeah thing. well that, that's just it <laughs> there's an expectation that we have even without having seen those films like with yeah. with dracula there was an expectation that I had of that film that was based entirely on 
knowledge not gained from watching films yeah. that were around mm. that time. I, I have, thanks to this podcast, watched a few from that time since then. And, mm. you know, having seen something like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which That's was... That's a fascinating Yeah, film. which was like 10 years earlier and was like the, the progenitor for all of these sort of 30s horror films. Um, it, it, it is kind of interesting seeing what has been picked up and the way that this film uses it for humour. I, I am curious, Ryan, mm. um, how... How funny is this film to you as a brand new viewer? Uh, it's, yes, it is largely very funny in terms <laughs> of the jokes. There are some that don't land at all, but some get repeated laughs and they do revisit them throughout the horses. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Frau Blucher. Yeah. <laughs> a favourite. And once you like, once you pick up on it, then you feel it's mm. such like a, like an easy laugh every time that it, it occurs. And there's a few very classic Mel Brooks ones in here. Like, wasn't your... Hump on the other side, yeah. which is which is a direct then mm. nod to then later on in Rebel Hood Many Tights. Wasn't your mole on the other side? I have a mole. Mm. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, and I think it's really interesting looking at this in sort of the, the Mel Brooks canon of films because it feels like it's sort of cementing a lot of kind of his. Yeah, well, ni- nineteen seventy four is kind of like the the big year for his career, it really, mm. because he's already had the producers, but in seventy four you get this. And Blazing Saddles both come out in the same year. Now, what a year! Yeah, and I'm I'm on the record before, and we still haven't reviewed it on this program. But Blazing Saddles, I think, is the the funniest Mel Brooks film um, of of the ones I've seen. I would absolutely say that, um, and that's not that easy a choice um, because Young Frankenstein, I, I think, is such a good film as well. I think the producers. Um, I'm going to say the the original version more so than the remake, just because Mel was more directly involved with the original. But mm. um, but even that, um, they're, they're fantastic they're... films. But there's something mm. about Blazing Saddles, I guess, that was that really tickled me. Uh, but the thing that I really appreciate about Brooks is that he's got so many films which grab people's attention and gr- mm. grab particular funny bones. Like like I I, I love Blazing Saddles not as big a fan of something like Spaceballs but I know lots of people that Spaceballs is like no that's the best one he ever made and then yeah. you get other people going I think you'll find it something called Robin Hood Men in Tights yeah. I think it's I think it's partially it, it's it's not dissimilar to when people you ask people what's your favourite Monty Python film and people always have like a mm. very clear hierarchy of mm. which is their favourite and often their favourite is the one that they saw first mm. is what yeah. I find because when we did we did um, Holy Grail for the 100 we did Life of Brian for the 100. Life of Brian for the 100. Yeah. And I asked the question of the assembled people because we had a big group of people. Um, what would your like sort of top, like if you were going to put the rank them? And it was pretty, it was pretty unanimously Holy Grail and then Brian and then Meaning of Life, mm. which is what mine was. So I was very pleased. But also, <laughs> but also we found that then matched with people watching Holy Grail first, first. then yeah. Brian. Then Life of Brian. Whereas sure. people who've watched Life of Brian first well, generally like, preferred it to the others. That's my favourite. Because when you're first introduced to that yeah. kind of humour, yeah. their mm. kind and of I style. Think, yeah. And I think Mel Brooks is the same to an extent because his first film that I saw was Men in Tights and I love that yeah. film. Mm. It's really silly. It's just a lot of fun. Mm. It's a great cast. I don't know which one I saw first, but I do know that I saw Blazing Saddles before Young Frankenstein. And I think that might mm. be part of it. Um, I or saw at least, Men in Tights definitely before er- anything else yeah. of his that I saw. Um, speaking specifically about this film, though. Um, yeah. The, 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 the acting is oh. so good. Yeah, the cast is so really good. I mean, I mean, it's just... It, it, obviously there's really funny lines there's really yeah. great delivery of those lines about half of my notes is plot and the other half is just jokes that I've written down yeah. because I love Fair them enough. Yeah. Um, but it's it's the delivery of those lines and it's sort mm. of the, the way they play with them this cast that, that really makes it and obviously at the centre of it you have Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein mm. as he mm. sissy is for two thirds of the film um, mm. Gene Wilder we, we kind of already know is a really good actor but Gene Wilder is an amazing Dr. Frankenstein. Mm, yeah. Yeah. He's really good. He definitely. He has that um, ability to be, yeah, really intense. Manic energy. That, yeah. uh, and he's even like his monologuing. Yeah. Mm. And he brings a great energy. Oh, yeah. It. His speech with the, you know, give my creature life or give yeah. my creation life. Like that whole build up to it. I'd forgotten what a great speech that is as he's being raised. And yeah. that, that's the thing I think that's really great about this film is it is shot like a proper 
30s Frankenstein film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, they, they track down a bunch of the props, which we'll, we'll mm. get in, uh, we'll talk yeah. about a little bit later. But, like, the way it's shot, the way that the, the platform is raised, the, the way the makeup looks. The fact that it's looks, rendered in black and white, yeah. specifically. Yeah. And the fact that it's... It sh- is beautiful. Yeah. And it's, mm. It was shot on black and white film. This wasn't uh, colour film that was then uh, transported to black and white. Shows. Um, it was, you know what, let's, let's pull this from the trivia section now and throw it in. Uh, Mel Brooks refused to shoot it in colour uh, to then have it transferred to black and white because he knew that the studio would try and release it in colour. Oh. So he was like, no, nah, I'm going to circumvent that. Yeah, he, he actively told them. Yeah. He said, <laughs> I'm only shooting this in black and white because it has to be in black and white. Colorize this. And it's really interesting seeing, like, because the, the DVD case has colorized images oh. of them in fact i'll pass it over to you now because um you can see uh peter boyle in his greeny blue yeah. uh makeup creature yeah. makeup um which is um it, it's, it's the same makeup yeah. that was used for boris karloff mm. and that's why we have this sort of image of the creature having green yeah. and blue skin but it doesn't look right mm, like no. it, it has to be that sort of that wonderful black and white and all the the sort of deep yeah. um shades in between that you get yeah um, for it for it to work, and they're recognisable in and of themselves, like mm. like uh, just the same way that the green uh, makeup is, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's just really well put together. Obviously, Gene um, co-wrote this film with with Mel Brooks. Yeah, um, and I, I think that's also that that's maybe also partly why this feels quite different from a lot of other Mel Brooks ones because mm. he he did write in collaborations with other people, but he was pretty much always the dominant voice in the room. Mm. Even on something like Blazing Saddles, which he worked with Richard Pryor and other writers on, mm. it was primarily Mel Brooks's say, first yeah. and foremost. This feels like a lot more of a partnership. The fact that they're both billed mm. in like the same size font yeah. and, yeah. and it's everything is... I think as well, Mel Brooks's like stuff, a lot of it, you know, they have little... Like the occasional short monologue, but a lot of his dialogue is very conversational, like snappy, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Whereas this, there's some nice long monologues, mm. which I don't feel is as much Mel Brooks's style. He tends to be pretty to the point. Yeah. Or there's a snappy back and forth happening. And there, there is snappy back and forth between characters. Mm. But, but yeah, but I, f- I feel like those monologues might have been mm. Gene as well being like, oh, I could give myself some really like mm. nice meaty stuff mm, to work yeah. with but, but I mean isn't the, that the dream but the original text is is super interesting and super meaty and I think that, th- yeah. that this film doesn't shy away from questions of what does it mean to be alive and that beautiful speech that Peter Boyle has at the end as the creature mm, and about yeah. the kindness that that uh, Frederick showed him mm. um is it's beautifully delivered yeah and, it, and it's really well written and it, mm. it has a lot more heart than I remembered yeah yeah there's definitely uh moments where it goes from complete like pantomime to silliness to something yeah very to something like, where you just oh. feel the, yeah the rug like gently tugged out from under you and you're like oh mm. bit, I of was, heart, bit of heart I was, behind this i was not expecting this in a in a film like this yeah yeah, yeah. um oh. we just mentioned him peter boyle mm. as the creature yeah. um, wonderful it's it's a great performance yeah and I think in a lot of cases, quite understated. Like, the, but his physicality is wonderful because you look at him as the creature, like learning how to move and that very stiff mm. movement. And then the minute he has the brain transfer stuff towards the end, all of a sudden he's just moving and is very fluid and just mm. yeah. moving. Well, because he's he's human at that point. And, yeah. and I think Peter Boyle does a marvellous job of capturing that. Like just that scene where he's in the bed yeah. um, and he's just reading the paper the and then Elizabeth yeah. comes in and he's just got that sort of... Yes, dear. Slightly put upon, but also, <laughs> but also there is still love there, yeah, kind of feeling, yeah. and he expresses it all, saying very few words. Yeah, um, and, you know, he's just sat there, kind of absently minded, reading it while you've got Madeline Kahn going, throwing her shoes off. It's been such a long time since since I've watched this. I I was like, oh, that's where this is from, because your dad does that a lot, Stephen. Yeah, it's very discomforting. Yeah, no, he'll he'll occasionally walk into a room and just go. And it's very just, funny. It's just yeah. something he picked up from yeah. watching this film. Oh, yeah. There you go. Um, but yeah, no, Peter Ball is is just just superb. Mm. And, it, and again, really important that you have a mm. believable, heartfelt creature and someone who doesn't have dialogue for most of the film, but we know exactly what he's thinking. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, especially when he's having hot soup poured on him by Gene well, Hackman. That's a, I know. Another surprise. <laughs> surprise, Gene. Yeah. Two Jeans in one night. <laughs> yeah. Um, how surprised were you when you were like? 
Gene Hackman? Yeah, like, it, did you have that moment? I was in like a triple take. Like, yeah. Because I was like, it looks a hell of a lot like, but it could have been. Yeah. But it is. It, yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. oh, Gene Hackman is an uncredited role in this film? Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that's it as well. Because yeah. they have, of course, like all the titles flashing up at the start. And so mm. you're like, okay, I know exactly who I'm seeing. He was mm. a surprise. Was like, yeah. yeah. He was yeah, a, a bit surprise. of bonus Gene. And he was, yeah. again, he was great. Very good. Yeah. It's a really great performance. Isn't mm. it? And like they, the kind of pacing of the of the uh, the movie really allowed them to mm. give those performances. Like, there's a, mm. and there's some shots of like the like three characters in in one frame, mm-hmm. and they're all kind of offering something different. Mm. Yeah, I like as well how they went back to kind of the original Frankenstein text, where he does go for a bit of a wander and meets a bunch of people. So there's like. He talks to the little girl. Although I did have a moment where she was like, what else should we throw down the well? And I just thought that could have ended very differently. Yeah. That scene just like, yeah, that's where <laughs> my brain went. Just yeah. Yeah. Her into the, the well. to camera. Oh yeah. man. I'm, sh- I'm sure somebody suggested it at some yeah. point. Mm. Um, but then as well, going in and hanging out with the uh, old blind guy, which is what happens in the book mm. as well. And, but, but taking that and being like, so, what would be the funniest thing to do in this situation? And in this case, it's we're going to light him on fire and yeah. pour soup in his lap. And wait, you know. I was going to make espresso. Like, yeah, just yeah. It's, yeah. it's very oh. good. Which is such a great throwaway line. Just like, what? Yeah. You um, have an espresso machine? Yeah. <laughs> do they even exist in 1930, whatever? Mm. And yet it's not, but, they, it, but it also <laughs> is. Matter. Yeah. Um, obviously, the reason we're watching this is because of Cloris Leachman uh, passing on and people wanting to watch something with her in. She's not in this a lot. I remember her as as Frau Blucher having a much bigger part <laughs> in this film. So, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, remember her, I remember her having a much bigger role in this film. Her hair is so severe. It's so impressive. Mm, yeah. That must have been such a pain to do. Yeah. But the thing that I really picked up on watching it, specifically because we have a focus on, on Cloris Leachman because... Yes. Um, because of her passing, yeah. um, is just how on her game she is with her her acting. Because she's not mm. really playing it for laughs outside of the Oval no. Team. So. No, she's playing it very seriously. Yeah. He was my boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. Like, just there's her a heart beautiful. Break. There's a little bit of humor in that, but it's also like like she really loved Victor Frankenstein. Yeah. Like like you really get that sense, mm. um, and that she is heartbroken by the fact that he's no longer around, mm. um, and that she has this kind of misplaced mm. uh, attraction to, to yes. Frederick because he looks exactly like Victor. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, I mean, Cl- Cloris Leachman is just superb. Yeah. And there was a scene in it where she was um, yelling and carrying on and doing her thing. And I was like, oh my God, she's actually got, you can see like tears going yeah. down her face. Like amazing. Yeah. She mm. had a, she had a so real, like, real bottom to her performance, I suppose. Like even yeah. though you know that it's a bit melodramatic or a bit over the top as the style asks for, you're still like, yeah. oh, this woman's like... You're yeah. like, I believe you. Yeah, exactly. I believe you. Whereas sometimes with like very pantomimic, like over the top comedy performances, you're like... Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah, but I think that was something that was kind of consistent across a lot of these I'd characters. Agree, as well. yeah. Like Marty Feldman is just incredible in this. Oh yeah, he's so funny like, and hysterical. Yeah, and because he's got such a distinctive look, obviously with his eyes the way that they are, mm. um, he's just superb. Yeah, he, he was just, so perfectly cast in that role, yes. and just his little quiet Every, little asides and yeah mm. very like oh. subtle or very sharp kind of choices as yeah. well um, very like no sense of personal space even yeah <laughs> yeah he that, got and many that a laugh. very british sense of humor just mm-hmm. like nice snide little asides what what i didn't say that and then yeah. carrying on and you mm. were just like oh walk this like, way it was a classic yeah no just walk <laughs> once, this way hands in the little stick once your brain catches up it's yeah. like you're oh, just like oh you've been you've been punked just you like got Frankenstein me. yeah like, yeah, oh, yeah I thought you meant as well I yeah. think the really clever thing with Marty Feldman's uh, casting in this film is that everyone else is serious yes. to an extent mm. Marty Feldman's Igor knows he's in a Frankenstein film. Yes. yes. And yeah. I, it's really important, I think, for this film <laughs> that it's only yeah. one character that yeah. has that. It's where, like the one human character yeah. in a Muppet movie. So whereas, mm. whereas some, except it's almost like reversed. It's, it's like, like reversed. he's the only one, he's the one Muppet, Muppet in a, in a, in a people <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah. yeah. He's like Fozzie Bear just turning to the camera and, and going, waka, 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 yeah. But I think it's really interesting because you look at other Mel Brooks films and there's a lot of 
more obvious fourth wall breaking from essentially the whole cast. Yes. Um, Blazing Saddles has it. Robin Hood Men in Tights has oh, it. Oh, big time, yeah. Um, you know, they really utilize that. In this film, I think it's really interesting that they've gone, you know what, Marty Feldman is basically the funniest human being mm. around right now. Yeah. Let's just let him do his thing as yeah. Igor. And it it really works because it, it bounces so nicely off everybody else who's being quite serious yeah. Yeah. in the in the way that they're doing it, and also nice because obviously Igor was like a fabrication hmm. of 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 the kind of the Frankenstein myth that kind of took off uh, mostly in stage plays. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen. This no, is, no, you're I feel I feel like this is this is this is more your kind of. Well, that's what my PhD it's is what your PhD based is. on. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. still currently under examination, folks. Uh, but yeah, yes. it but is. But the, the yeah. fact that he kind of draws on that tradition and is kind of that that he he's the most caricatured part mm. of this, and so it kind of makes sense and it kind of works. Yeah, because there's no Igor in the original book. No, Igor also wasn't uh, no, in the first. I don't think he was in the first Boris Karloff Frankenstein. I think he comes along. In later. I think he might. I think Son of Frankenstein might be the first time he turns up, which mm. is a sort of sequel in the late thirties. Mm. He's, he's so unquestioned when you see him that, mm. like, like how it's interesting, such a like a historical kind of tale. Like, but, icon- yeah, yeah, like it, this is an iconic yeah, character would, from this story, and yeah. then you're like, he wasn't in the original but, yeah, book. The OG. <laughs> what? Surely. No. Yeah. Um, he's not. Terry Garazinga is a, a a character that is one note, but it's a fun note. Yeah, I, I think that she's used about the right amount. Yeah, and I think that she plays that just straight down the line. Yeah, as as you should. When, just very yeah, and the occasional the... moment of lovely silliness is roll, 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 yeah. Yeah. like just <laughs> just very silly. Yeah, and I think it's also really interesting to contrast that with with Madeline Kahn, who who's a different mm-hmm. kind of madness. Yeah, entirely, um, and. There are no normal female characters. And the one scene that she is this. with, because she bounces around as well, the one scene she's with Igor is very uh, yeah, interesting he... to see them interact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Marty uh, Feldman just like yeah. biting the fox stole off her shoulder. Like, just, yeah. like oh my God. Mm. She's like, oh, stop it. Yeah. I think there's a wonderful play <laughs> in those scenes. And I think that's really important because watching this film, I, I have clued in to a couple of things, which I'm going, ah, this this is interesting when you look at contemporary representation of certain mm. things. Now, mm. specifically, something that cropped up when we were discussing is about ableism. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's... I don't think it's necessarily about an intent of, um, of, of drawing humour from disabilities. I think it is more that it's a use of language that was prevalent at the time, which is now considered... Uh, correctly to be ableist yeah. so um specifically the idea of um them using an abnormal brain yeah obviously now, to obviously yeah. abnormal the abby normal joke is is a good joke mm. on, on on paper mm. um but i seemingly the harmless word play i'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure they presumed however yeah. well this is just it because you were the first time viewer and you were the one that flagged this ryan and that was really interesting because obviously We've both watched this a lot of mm. times, and we were watching it from quite a young age. Um, it, it never particularly occurred to me that this film could be considered ableist. But also, I'm not usually watching films judging um, their, their their ableism. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, um, like the the thing is, like if that sticker isn't on the brain, you just think of a Frankenstein, uh, Frankenstein's monster, as you know. There's been this kind of like uh, intense procedure, mm. you know, the the body has died, the brain's been attempted to be preserved, and so yeah. it, t- it like takes a while for the kind of humanity or the for the um, Frankenstein's monster to come into his own. It's but, also technically a learning thing because yeah, the creature yeah. comes into into being and is basically like a child essentially. Yeah, but I don't know that it's necessarily played so much like a child or a baby as more like somebody who might have like an intellectual disability or something like that i mean that's where the kind of um i suppose like through a contemporary lens and like i i can't speak on behalf of um yeah you know that Mm. community but uh yeah it, it it's slightly uncomfortable to watch if you uh kind of take that uh yeah take look look at it through that lens particularly Mm. like you know it's a there's like a non-verbal performance that continues and 
um, the, like soothed by music and like it is childlike in its way. But yeah, mm. without that, without that sticker on the jar, I don't think this conversation happens at all. I think it's part of the narrative completely. Yeah. Um, and the uh, like fantastical medical procedure that is mm. the kind of uh, revival of Frankenstein's monster. I think he's kind of like a like a like a flip side of the um, born sexy yesterday trope, which is where you have like like a good looking sexy character who is mm. resurrected or revived or something like that. Like I'm um, like Lily from the fifth element is the, is the main one that people talk about yeah. when they talk about born sexy yesterday. And this is like that, but it's not born mm. sexy yesterday. It's just born yesterday. Born sexy a long time ago. Born Died. sexy a long time revived ago. Revived sexy yeah. yesterday. Yeah. I, I actually think that probably one of the bits that is the most actually uncomfortable is probably the dance scene. Interesting. For me. Yeah. And I don't, I think that's, I don't know exactly why that is. And I think, like the more I watch it, like I'm like, like on one level, I'm like, yes, this is a funny joke. But on another level, I'm like, like intellectually, I'm looking at it going, mm. is this putting on the Ritz? Am oh, I? Yeah, yeah putting, yes, on, yeah, putting yeah, it on the I Ritz. Agree. And I'm like, this, I, this, yeah. this feels uncomfortable. And I also just think it's very funny that he's like, he's now cultured because he can do Fred Astaire. Mm. And I'm like, I love that because Fred Astaire was a vaudeville star mm. who then went on and did like romantic comedy musicals all the way through the 30s and like he's considered pretty historically important but like that kind of art form in terms of like musical theater stuff is seen as being very like stereotypical um, like lots of you know yeah and and you know he came from vaudeville which was like very much kind of like looked down on mm. as an art form i do so... have to ask but what, to take a brief detour outside of our discussion of ableism what were you thinking when the putting on the ritz <laughs> came on oh uh, <laughs> many things one was i did have that slight cringe just like oh yeah with that in the back of my mind and so i didn't mm. find myself able to relax i wish it was just um Gene Wilder just have an at it because mm. he's he's like, a good tapper. Yeah, he's yeah, carving up. Yeah, I think I he's mean, a, I think he's a better tapper than what's his face from Hail Caesar. Yeah, um, but I uh, look, they make <laughs> a variety of bold choices throughout this film, and so it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't entirely out of place mm. in the world of bold choices. So I don't know that I've been more excited to see a scene in the previous two hundred odd episodes, and to see somebody who hasn't seen it for the first time and reacting to because it because. Yeah. I remember being blown away when I first saw yeah. it. Um, and, and that scene is a big part of the musical. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably the reason they have a musical. Cause I mean, it's yeah. It's the only real musical number in the original. Yeah. And uh, it's 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 still in there. And then they've kind of extrapolated songs mm, out of everything else mm. and kind of expanded it and built on it. But yeah. But it's, I, it's I was there. so excited to see how you would react to it. And it was just that lovely look of someone who just does not know what is happening. Yeah. <laughs> but, but was enjoying finding out what yeah, was happening. Yeah, 100%. That was a lot of... Yeah, there's a lot of moments that are like that, to be honest, where mm. they, it's just, you just kind of let it wash over you. But that one in particular, you're like, I, I guess comes, this is happening. Yeah. You're like, how this are is a we? Thing. Yeah, how are we presenting the Frankenstein's mm. uh, creature? But it's, it's, to go back, um, I didn't have that same discomfort with the putting on the Ritz scene, and that could partly be because it's one of my favourite scenes from any mm. films, and I've not looked at it for that particular lens before. But mm. one of the other things I think is the the inherent joke in that scene. I think comes from what they set up in that first scene where he's testing out Mr. Hill, uh, Mr. Hilltop's um, reflexes <laughs> and disables uh, his reflexes and then the, knees him in the groin. I, um, I, ha- I had a real moment watching that scene because the, the, the stringiness of that little old man and the mm. way that he moved, it just reminded me of my pop. Aww. And he passed away about a year ago now. Mm, so yeah. I was just like, Oh, that's what my granddad mm. was like. He was really yeah. like skinny, skinny yeah. dude, yeah. especially towards the end. And yeah, I was like, bitch, like oh. my pop. <laughs> yeah. But it was a callback. It was a callback to that first scene where it was like looking at how the nervous system responds. Yes. And I think it was also a really funny way, and that's mm. important in a comedy, um, a really funny way of doing something that is unexpected but makes sense because the whole yeah. point of that is to show that the creature is is more than a creature it is a living yes. being it's a living mm. entity and so you know the heel toe heel toe walk backwards then does putting on the ritz is yeah. a, like just from from that side of things yeah. fantastically humorous um but i i do think it's really interesting the the line that this film toes with that sort of representation specifically because i 
don't think the film is... I don't think the film is actively attempting to say anything about disability no. representation. No, I don't no. think so. But I also think that this film could have been significantly crueler. And I think there was quite, sure. I think there was quite a bit of... It's almost like there's a certain genteelness to the people that were working on this film, which sort of negated it transgressing much more so, if you get what I mean. Yeah. And I, I, and I am being a little bit defensive of it, um, and because because I do the jo- like this yeah, film. like the, it's it's not so much like yeah. the, the the joke is not, um, kind of I'm I'm trying to articulate this. Um, the, the, the joke is not on the creature. Like the creature is still presented in like a positive light mm-hmm. within this scene. It's not like they're like, oh, ha ha. Like, you know, he can't sing or whatever. It's seen yeah. as like quite a triumphant thing until the end when the light glows and then he's like, oh, he and then he scared. freaks out, obviously. I think it's scared. more an issue that is present from the adaptations of the original text. And yeah. I think it's something that has been present in Frankenstein stories even through to the modern day. Yeah. Um, and that, that depiction of... I suppose it's partly because the creature is often depicted as being quite childlike when they first emerge or when they are mm. first born. Mm. And, like, plays do it, you know, uh, films mm. do it. Um, the, the, the stage play with um, Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller mm. starts with the creature literally sort of birthing itself from an artificial womb yeah. and spends the first couple of minutes learning to walk and then yeah. learning to run and then learning mm. to make noises with it, with it, with its mouth. And I think maybe that's, that's why I'm not sort of on it for being yeah. like, for being b- bad ableist rep because yeah. I, my, my, my reading of it is that mm. they are trying to demonstrate a creature that has these childlike tendencies, but I also then acknowledge that it is framed by the fact that that brain was labelled abnormal. That's it. Well, it's like um, Frankenstein. What's the scientist that he was hoping to resurrect? Um, oh, H. H. Somebody. Uh, Brudenstock or something like that. Yes. Somebody. Well, he like so his expectation, I presume, was that it would be like a. Um, yeah. I like a, a completely smooth transition, like back to like you'd have him back. Uh, yeah. So I think. It's like that. If you if you just had someone else's name there and you mm. got that, then I don't even know that it would. Yeah, again, this like conversation would, uh, mm. would it would be necessary because it is a rebirth and it is like mm. the creature is learning to um, to do everything again and experiencing everything again. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, it's just the it's the label, and I, I'd presume that they went for the joke for the Abbey. Mm. The Abbey like normal, Abbey normal yeah. joke yeah. more than anything else. Uh, yeah. But it's just I I think if that was. Uh, mm. If this was like in the drafting stage, I think it would be rethought these days. And, yeah, and oh, it, if and it was be, being done today, it would absolutely be done differently. Yeah, and be, if they were yeah. going to do that, they would then highlight it in such a way to be like, like, look at how you know the creature has been like shown in like, I mean, even like the Boris Karloff films and a lot of them where he's just a big brute, um, and the character is. But if you if you look back at the original novel as well, um, yes, he does start off and he's very childlike and has to learn how to talk and to walk Mm. and to speak and all those kind of things but Mm. he becomes very articulate and very intelligent like it's actually in the original source text but this is kind of throwing back to um your like hammer horror and those kinds of things where Mm. you had the stumbling shambling monster Mm. who didn't really have a lot of cognizant thought and it was just meant to be like a big scary thing that could kill you yeah essentially i think while we're on the discussion of uh ableism the other thing to talk about is is probably marty feldman Mm. um so so marty feldman obviously um wouldn't fit having a a normal look quote unquote um and that was very much eyes were just like that yeah um well it's it's partly because he suffered from a thyroid disease and developed uh graves ophthalmopathy uh which means that the eyes uh, protrude and become misaligned um so but he also attributed the fact that he basically had a career because Because he looked different and Mm, because he looked as it was described at the time funny yeah and he you know he he is playing his his unique facial features up for the camera there's even a specific damn my eyes joke too late Mm. in this and (laughs) you see that's just it it's we, we we laugh and i think we laugh because it's it's implied that Marty Feldman 
was okay with with doing these sorts of things because either either because he had to be which i think would be the negative reading i mean or because he yeah. he chose to embrace his unique features or he, maybe it, a bit of both yeah i mean he he even said in um uh, an interview he said um if i aspired to be robert redford I'd have my eyes straightened and my nose fixed and end up like every other lousy actor with two lines on Kojak. But this way, I'm a novelty. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. he, he yeah. views himself as a novelty. Yeah. And that's maybe something that I, I think these days would not be considered uh, on. Um, but mm. but the, the fact of the matter is, is that he he is first and foremost tremendously funny. Oh, the performance is yeah. really sharp and... Um, Clever, like yeah, he, he hits every beat, every joke, and he's not a shambling idiot like no, uh, yeah. like some of the other yeah. eagles are from kind of your filmic history. Like yes, master. Like he still does the yes, master, and whatever else. Mm. But I think he's got some of the best one-liners. Like, and a oh, lot yeah. of the time, like he's sort of saying stuff, and Frankenstein's like, "What?" It's like, "What?" Because mm. he's just totally missed yeah. the joke, and, and he goes just like, ah. "Yeah," and also <laughs> and I'm doing his thing. Than the like people. he's yeah. getting the better of everyone. I'm like, good on you. And that's just it, like. I would say 99% of everything that Mike Feldman does in this film uh, works because of how funny he is in his delivery. Yeah. yeah. Um, and because th- there's only a couple of references to the fact that, that he has an, an unusual face. Um, mm. Really, there's the damn my eyes mm. joke is kind of the main one. And yeah. I feel like the hump again is something that has been put onto that character. Like that's yeah. just part and parcel of the whole, if you've got an eagle and they're an assistant and they're in the lab, then they are going to be eager and they will have the hump on their back and they will have the... Mm. weird eyes and all the bits and pieces so that's partially them being like well how do we take the mick out of this kind of character archetype that's come out of this mm. so yeah, yeah. I, I almost feel as though this film benefits from having an actor who had health conditions that yeah. that changed his look as a in terms of like somebody who sort of embrace As opposed them. to nowadays where they'd get Andy Circus in a morph suit. Yeah. Or and just, like or just, CG him. Or even just having <laughs> you know an actor. I mean? yeah. Jim Carrey, like, how about it? Or something. Yeah. Or yeah. Having, <laughs> having an actor at that time. A bit of a it, it, yeah. Having an actor in the 70s and going, oh yeah, Eagle's got to have a hump and they've got to move like this and they've got to, you know, have a cleft lip and all these different things that they would try and potentially do with makeup. Mm. I think maybe they avoided some of that stuff. I, I, yeah. It's, it, it is an in, it's an interesting discussion. I think we as three um, able-bodied reviewers uh, can only have so many opinions mm. on on this sort of mm. thing. We haven't even touched on Inspector Kemp. Oh, the, my gosh. The oh, wow. Yes. Who talk in an unusual accent. <laughs> yeah. Like, I forgot just how extremely yeah. uncomprehensible he was. Yeah, I felt... I felt uh, like I, I had some difficulties at times with the accents of the village in general, do you yeah. know? And... Mm. Um, uh, but at the time, I was like, Oot. "Oh no, I'm not getting, I'm not quite getting any of this." And then the whole village is like, "What?" And I was like, "Oh, okay, it's a, it's, it's a, a bit, it's a it's, bit, it's okay. Yeah. Mm. It's not just me." Yeah. Um. And the yeah, the hand just mm. some very good physical comedy with that hand, yeah. like like shoving the darts into it, and then yeah. when it gets ripped off at the end, and he just uses it to point yeah. and like. Yeah, <sighs> it's it is it is very interesting, and it almost just feels like. It came from another film and just got yes. thrown into this one because he yeah, feels yeah. really out of place with everything else. I I'd, I'd actually forgotten about him earlier when I said Mike Feldman's the only non-serious person in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kemp is another, although Kemp is not breaking the fourth wall. He very much, he very much believes the world that he's in. Mm, yeah. um, yes. but he's just so extreme. Yes, um, yes. very he's running strange. the village. And, yeah, he looks like he could be a. Terminator from a pre <laughs> a pre technological Terminator, of like a sort. steampunk Terminator. Yeah, like yeah. Oh man, can somebody do that? <laughs> steampunk Terminator, that'd be awesome. Like an automaton, mm. but as oh. yeah. Mm. They're sending but, them instead of from the future, from the past. Yeah. Just being like, oh, we've got to protect this. Just kid. like little gears and whistles and like little <laughs> like steam powered. Oh yeah. my god. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, That'd be very, unreal. very interesting uh, performance. And that, I suppose that's the sort of movie that it was where you just kind of see it and accept it for like, like for what it was. That's a choice. That's I made. guess we're doing this now. It's, mm. it's putting on the Ritz. It's uh, yeah. Another mm. interesting character. 
and the film ends with the the, the transferal attempt and uh, Victor oh, sorry he's not Victor uh, Frederick gets a little bit of the creature and the creature gets a little bit of Frederick and oh. they they end up uh, with with new new partners yeah yeah bit of a wife swap at the end yeah yeah um, you know some some good uh, singing during sex jokes uh, yeah oh, uh, a just opera. a nice little bit of opera yeah. And we, and we actually have a kind of a happy ending, which is very unusual for any Frankenstein text. Yes. I mean, yeah, normally a lot of people die at the end. Yeah. Would you guys like some trivia? Oh, I'm so ready uh, for yeah, the 100%. trivia. I don't need to trivia, finish the question. Trivia, of course yeah. you guys want trivia about young Frankenstein. Give it to me like a dart in the arm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all of this trivia is sourced from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't blame me. Uh, when Mel Brooks was preparing for this film, he discovered that Ken Strickfadden, who made the elaborate electrical machinery for the lab sequences of the Universal Frankenstein films, was still alive and living in Los Angeles. Brooks visited him and found out that he had all of the equipment in his garage. Oh. <laughs> okay, that's amazing, though. It's quite the souvenir to take mm. home, though. <laughs> Brooks made a deal to rent the equipment and gave Strickfadden the screen credit that he didn't receive in the original films. Oh. So when you watch the start of this that's film awesome. and those things, he's right at the bottom of Mel the Brooks. big title card. What a good yeah. dude. Just like, what do you mean you didn't get credit for this? Mm. This stuff's amazing and iconic, and I'm going to credit you for it. No wonder. Because you deserve it. No wonder he stole it all after mm. the production. I mean, like, no yeah, credit, legitimately, me you're not going to give me credit for all this amazing stuff that I did mm. fine also I'm gonna just steal it all amazing when Marty Feldman just hits the machine to stop it yes just yeah. delightful <laughs> um, Gene Hackman learned about this film through his frequent tennis partner Gene Wilder <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were in the uh, all Gene Hollywood Gene? tennis yeah Gene <laughs> Gene <laughs> Um, he requested a role because he wanted to try being in a comedy film. Um, he, vol- he volunteered to play the blind hermit for free. Uh, it was four days of shooting for about four minutes of running time. But yeah, he did all that for free just because he wanted to wow. be in a comedy. That's really funny. Yeah. Bless him. The shifting hump on Eagle's back was an ad-libbed gag. Warning, there are a lot of ad-lib gags in this film. Really? Yeah, uh, but the Big hump shot. was ad-libbed. Marty Feldman had been surreptitiously shifting the hump back and forth for several <laughs> days, and then the cast eventually noticed. Uh, and so because he'd been doing that, and obviously for continuity... They had to... They, they, they had to... They added it into that. the script. Yeah. I just like the fact he deliberately went, oh, I'll shift it to the other shoulder, it'll be fine. I, I love how many times uh, Gene Wilder ignores stuff as well. <laughs> Is mm. it... Is it, I, think, I don't know if other characters do it as well, but uh, I think it's mostly him. Like you just, just kind of occasionally see the eyes just slide away from a thing. Like, like, yeah, I'm giving up on this. Also, yeah. shout out to Gene Wilder's amazing mascara eyelashes. Oh my god, this. yeah, I must say. Oh my mm. goodness, I was mm. like, that is a lot of mascara, mm. my dude. No, wow, yeah, those no. eyelashes were popping. Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks got into one fight during the mm. film's production. That's impressive. Yes, yeah, just the one fight, but it was a big one. Uh, Mel Brooks threw a huge temper tantrum, yelling and raging, and eventually stormed out of Gene's apartment where they'd been working on the script. About 10 minutes later, Gene's phone rang. The caller was Mel, who shouted down the phone, Who was that madman you had in your house? I could hear the yelling all the way over here. You should never let crazy people in your house. Don't you know that? That could be dangerous. As Gene later put, that was Mel's way of apologising. <laughs> that is healthy. That definitely. sounds... <laughs> Do you know what that sounds like? That sounds like my working relationship with Sarah. Mm. Like, this is a friend of mine. And when we did our honours show together, um, we had a friend who was filming our stuff, mm-hmm. like behind the scenes stuff for us. And he was like, you guys haven't like had any like fights or anything throughout this. And we went, oh, we probably should do that. And then we had a fake fight on camera for you. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> because well, we hadn't argued at any point in the yeah. process. So we were like, well, we'll stage one for you, man. Throw one up. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Gene Wilder would only make the film if Mel Brooks promised not to appear in it. And that's quite unusual for Mel Brooks to not yeah. be in one of his own films. Uh, Brooks um, did make a couple of small cameos, uh, mostly <laughs> off camera. He was the Howling Wolf. Oh. Werewolf. <laughs> Their Their wolf. Werewolf. Werewolf. Yes. Yes. Wolf. Um, he was also Frederick's grandfather. He was that that vo- that voiceover of um, um, Victor. So that was him doing some acting. Yeah. And he was also the Shrieking Cat when uh, he froze Meow. the dark. Yeah. So he does good, good animal little cameos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he also he plays um, the blind hermit's arms for one of the soup shots because they had to reshoot it and Gene really? wasn't available. Really? Yeah. That is tricky. 
Yeah, so his his hands got in there, his voice got in there. Apparently, there's a gargoyle that looks a little bit like him, but other than yeah. that, um... so it's like Mel, you can't be in this film. Could my voice be in the film? Yeah. Could I... my arms be yeah, in the yeah, film? Yeah. Could I just yeah put my face in the corner? Yeah. So I'm not I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not in the film. I'm yeah. not in the film. I'm I'm just slightly <laughs> off screen, but I'm there, and yeah. I will know that I'm there, and you will know that. I'm Gene Hackman ad-libbed the parting line of, I was going to make espresso. Yes. Oh my God. The scene immediately fades to black because the crew erupted into fits of laughter. Hackman was unable to repeat the line without laughing for the rest of no. the crew. So the first take was used. Um, Thank God it yeah. was a good first take. Yeah. That's, that's the problem with people. When something's funny, it's, you're gone. You are did off you, and running. Did you know that this film has a connection with Aerosmith? <laughs> no. No, I was so excited to learn this. Oh, no. In 1974, Aerosmith took a break from a long night of recording to see this film. Steve Tyler remembered <gasps> a specific scene with Marty Feldman and wrote the song Walk This Way after no. it. No. Yeah. He, that's where that's he, not true. That's where that's he got I'm, the lyric. I need to IMDb This is on that. IMDb. If it's not true, don't blame me, Ryan. I that's... won't. I, you will have no blame, but I'm shooketh to my core. Mm. No. That's that's what's down here. Look, it might not be true, but I just imagine if it be. was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> every time no. you hear that song, every time you hear Run DMC, yeah. just imagine Marty Feldman yeah. in the background just bopping along. <laughs> Little Kane. <laughs> Even if it's not connected, it is now forever connected for me. Mm. Head, new head cannon done. The cast, and especially Mel Brooks, had so much fun making this film, they were quite upset when principal photography was almost completed. So Mel added scenes so they could keep shooting. That's Aww. lovely. Yeah. That's what a good a... use of studio budget. I mean, <laughs> there's like, nobody's telling us not to. Yeah. We could just shoot some more stuff. Mm. Uh, the skulls that Freddy and Inga find yes. under the castle were real. No way. Mm. The only one that wasn't real was the Idol. six months dead oh. skull. Uh, yeah, and, and Marty Feldman's <laughs> Marty living Feldman, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the six month dead one was handcrafted, but all the other skulls were really? authentic. Were 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 any of them ones that people had like donated specifically? We don't know. Oh, because I know that there are people who've donated their skulls to like the Royal Shakespeare Company because mm. they're like, I want to be Yorick. Yes. I don't know if anyone I at wanna... that time was going, give my skull to Mel Brooks. I'm sure he'll find a funny. Reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... That would be great though. Can you imagine being a director <laughs> and somebody bequeaths you a skull? Like, please use this in one of your funny yeah. films please it's a bit weird but... and then you direct Pirates of the Caribbean and oh <laughs> yeah no. just use them all the scene which required the most takes to be filmed was the one where Igor bites Elizabeth's animal wrap the reason for this was each time he did it he was left with a piece of fur in his mouth which caused all the other <laughs> actors to laugh hysterically <laughs> oh, more corpses. Madeline can't t- hold it together remarkably well in that yeah. scene and it reminded me that there was that moment when they're at the train uh, saying goodbye oh. and Jean Jean <laughs> just has a bit of her hair in his mouth and just yeah. does a pff, pff, and yeah, it's so, so very funny and yet yeah it's just it's, fitting it's like mm. it's very it's very, it's very realistic that's exactly <laughs> what it's like when they started filming the putting on the Ritz scene no one was sure exactly how the creature was going to deliver the line uh, because they hadn't really worked it out oh, no. so the first time they filmed it Peter Boyle delivered it as it's performed in the film with the that sort of like slightly enunciated but monster sounding voice yeah yeah and they kept it they just went that perfect nailed it first time uh mel brooks said that when columbia pictures realized he wanted to shoot the film entirely in black and white um they were so opposed to it that brooks then took the film to 20th century fox who agreed (laughs) screw you columbia yep basically wow yeah good on him Mm. Uh, Terry Garr originally auditioned for the role of Elizabeth, the fiancé, while Madeleine Kahn was the front-runner for Inga, the assistant. Uh, I think think that was a perfect swap. Yeah. Uh, Kahn ultimately decided she'd rather play Elizabeth, leaving Brooks with the task of recasting the Inga role. Undaunted, he called Gar in and told her that if she could come back the next day with a German accent, he'd let her play that part. (laughs) She looked at Mel and said... Well, yes, I could do the German accent tomorrow. I could come back this afternoon. And after doing that, she got the part straight away. That's wow. beautiful. Stunning. Straight yeah. swap. Well, we know that Madeline Kahn can do a very good kind of Germanic accent mm. already. Uh, blazing saddles. Yes. Uh, Gar also said that she based her accent on Cher's wig maker, uh, who... 
she had worked with on the Sunny and Cher comedy hour. That's that's who I would base mine off as well. Yeah. Oh, that's Literally. the most 70s thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. I base this accent off the person who does the wigs nice name for drop Sunny as well. and Cher. Yeah. Holy crap. Gene Wilder conceived of the putting on the Ritz scene while Mel Brooks was resistant to add it because he felt it was a mere conceit and that it would detract from the fidelity uh, to the universal horror films because he wanted to make something that really evoked those films. Wilder recalls being close to rage and tears when arguing for the scene to be kept before Brooks stopped and just said, it's in. When Wilder asked him why he changed his mind, Brooks said that since Wilder had fought for it so hard, it was the right thing to do. But it was only when he saw the musical number along with a howling audience that Brooks was finally confident about the sequence. Ooh, mm. So, wow. yeah, Mel was not overly confident it was yeah. going to work. Bold but, choice. Well, yeah. I mean, Wilder just... Mm. He was like, it, yeah. nah, I want it's it. It's in. Mm. Yeah. Uh, at the 1975 Golden Globe Awards, Cloris Leachman was nominated for Best Lead Actress for this film, whilst Madeleine Kahn was nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role, um, despite the fact that Kahn has more screen time than Leachman. Mm. Interesting. Mm. I always wonder about those ones. You'd think someone's going to be up for Best Lead and then they're mm. supporting or... Mm. I suppose uh, it's because Frau Blucher... Um, I suppose it's because that she is sort of higher billing well it's not just the higher billing she's sort of more plot relevant whereas Madeleine Kahn's character is there at the very beginning turns up and he's like I'm gonna go I'm here at the beginning let's go yeah it's Madeleine Kahn she's there at the beginning and then she turns up for like the last act Mm. Um, so maybe that's why they did it like that yeah the twin brother illustrators Tim and Greg Hildebrandt decided they wanted a career in painting movie posters and made a poster for this film after visiting the Manhattan office of 20th Century Fox the year before it was released. Although their poster design didn't get used, it led them to being commissioned to create a poster for another Fox venture a few years later, Star Wars Episode Four: oh, A New Hope. Not a bad little one. So they made a young Frankenstein poster. They went, okay, we're not going to use it, but we'll keep you in mind. We got this little film called Star Wars. Yeah. Do you want to make the poster for it? Jeez. And they probably went, oh, well, yeah. well, that's just it. Obviously, Star Wars wasn't a smash yeah. hit till it came out. I'd have been like, okay, we'll figure it out. Yeah. But uh, then Gre- it was, though. Yeah. yeah. They would have been like... Oh. And we're talking, you know, the, the, the iconic image, yeah, the poster image of, 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 that, of yeah. that whole film. Yeah. Greg Hildebrandt has said that he's grateful to Mel Brooks for this to this day. Aww. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Good guy, Mel Brooks. Uh, and while we're on the poster, the last bit of trivia, the original poster artwork they had for this film, put a McDonald's on a, on the mountain. Now, there's no <sighs> McDonald's in the film. They just... Yes, I've seen this yeah. poster. So they put it on there. Uh, they didn't have permission to use the McDonald's <laughs> logo. It's the McDowell's yeah. logo. Yeah. <laughs> We've got the golden arcs. Like. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they were forced to remove it from key art due to copyright infringement, Aww. meaning that T-shirts and posters that had already been printed had to be destroyed and redone. Ah. Oh. Oh, I bet there's somebody with a pile of them in a, pace, in a basement somewhere just yeah. like, yeah, you're a lot of money one day. Yeah. I mean, some days... You know, I go through the drive-thru and get a coffee. And it does feel like it brings me back to life. So I can see why they were trying to make that leap. Yeah. It's alive. <laughs> and uh, because this is a memorial episode for Cloris Leachman, just a couple of little trivia bits about uh, Cloris's life. She was Miss Chicago for 1946 at the Miss America pageant. Good Ooh. on her. Mm, there so you go. Good stuff there. Yeah. And also with her uh, nine Emmy Awards that she won, including one daytime Emmy, that makes her... The most winningest, as the Americans would call it, <laughs> the most winningest Emmy Awards winning actor or actress of all time. Wow. Good on you, Cloris Leachman. Jeez, yeah. I didn't know that one. And she got to 90 flipping four. Mm. Yeah. Couldn't get that's to double digits, so that's oh, disappointing. Triple digits. 94. No, sorry, I meant the, the Emmys. Oh, right. <laughs> oh. Sorry. Just the nine. <laughs> well, look, nobody else Gosh. has even got there. So, <laughs> no, it's yeah. an excelling haul. Yeah, she she did pretty pretty it's good. Being like, oh, Hamilton, you you didn't get nominated for as many awards <laughs> as the producers. That's because they took a bunch of the awards out of the Tony Awards. You can't um, win awards if they don't exist. Yeah, well, <laughs> Hamilton slightly below Mel Brooks. I, I can I can agree with that. Anyway, no, the that, producers is a very good musical. Yeah, on that semi-controversial bombshell, <laughs> <laughs> somebody's going to write in and be like, "What do you mean?" Yeah. Episode better be over. <laughs> uh, let's. Review. That's review. We just did that. Let's score the film. Oh, uh, so we're going to get a score out of ten from uh, all three of us. Uh, Ryan, because it was your first time watching the film, you get to go first. Uh, so, what score would you give Young Frankenstein out of ten? One being 
10 being yippee. I'm going to give it 8. <laughs> <laughs> Out of 10. <laughs> Perfect. Very good. Very good. So you, you enjoyed it then? Uh, yeah, I really did. I, I, like, I found the, the comedy notes really did like hold up mm. um, throughout. And it, like, I was openly laughing out loud at a number of them, especially like, it's just nice to see wordplay and uh, yeah. like some true wordplay delivered really well. Um, mm. And like genuine like comedy, like there was physical comedy, wordplay, uh, and the actors perform like performing and interacting with one another just yeah. really well. It's like watching a really good like pantomime style show, yeah, but with some really good clever puns and wordplay, and mm. just yeah. it's fun. What it's about yourself, Doctor Ellen? What are you giving this film out of ten? Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna concur. I'm gonna give it eight. Roll, roll, roll in the haze out of ten. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm gonna complete that trifactor. Ooh. I think that it is, it is. A very funny film, and I also think that um, I, I think it, it it the fact that we're almost fifty years on and it's still so very funny. Yeah, like those jokes still mostly mm-hmm. land, um, and that they've largely stood that sort of that that time gap so far. I think means that this is this is a uniquely funny and clever film. Um, I, I I do think obviously that there is um, an ableist reading which we discussed pretty in depth. Um, yeah, I think so. But but I also think that um, as as with most films and things of that nature, your mileage may vary. Um, but I personally think that this is just such a well made film and such a funny film. So I am going to give it eight. What knockers out of ten? Uh, because, <laughs> you know. Yeah, because um, again. Oh, thank you, Doctor. <laughs> it's it's those moments where you just you know the joke's coming and it's still good. Mm. Like I, they I, are very big door knockers. Yeah, they are massive knockers, and they they are. I just love when when they're being moved for the first time and they're yeah. huge. You literally do think huge knockers. Yeah, <laughs> like you th- have the thought passes through your head. Yeah, and I think this film Cheeky. just even though the, you know those jokes are coming, mm. um, like like I knew, I knew werewolf their wolf their castle was coming mm. and i was still on the edge of my seat waiting for it to be delivered because it's just funny it is it's, it's very funny. funny yeah um so oh. that brings us to the end of our review uh, ellen and ryan thank you so much for joining me on this episode thanks for having me yeah thank you so much my pleasure and for those of you listening in at home thank you for listening in mm. we are available on Patreon, you can join up at patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast and become a, an official member of the club. You can give us uh, little little bonus bits. To be honest, uh, the reason we even watch this film is because one of our patrons suggested it for our Cloris Leachman special. So if you want to suggest films for upcoming polls and other such things, just find us at Patreon. We are also available on Facebook. Uh, it's a social media search engine if you haven't heard of it it's it's pretty big uh if you're not on there sign up and then look for the cinema catch-up club uh and we can be found there there's news there's updates there's pictures of of dogs near microphones like there's all sorts of fun things there and of course you can subscribe towards itunes soundcloud spotify however you catch those pods and then cast them we can be found there just search for the cinema catch-up club give us a subscribe heck give us a review if you want Uh, But that is all for this week. So until next time, dressed up like a million dollar trooper, (laughs) trying very hard to look like Gary Cooper. So come, let's mix with Rockefellers, walk with sticks and umbrellas in their midst. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. Um, I have to mention this specifically because one of the very, very first times that I watched part of this film was with you, Stephen, mm-hmm. at the first ever cast party of the first ever show that we were in together Aww. in 2010. I didn't know I was third wheeling like that. Yeah. <laughs> we, oh are ma- we are married, right? Like, <laughs> and I think specifically you showed me the putting on the Ritz scene I from did. memory and maybe another one.
I had had a couple of drinks as well. Though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't even remember why we did that, but I'm very glad because that we did. Because I was like, I want to go and talk with this person because I was like, he's really nice. And I spent the whole semester, and I didn't get to act in any scenes with you. And I didn't get to spend any time with you, basically, apart from the fact that your makeup counter was next to me. Mm. Um, and so we got to the cast party and I was like, I'm going to go hang out with this guy because he seems nice and funny. And then we got talking about movies. And I think, obviously, you knew that I did dancing stuff. Mm. And you... St- I don't know how we got onto the topic of Young Frankenstein, but we we borrowed... Okay, this is how long ago it was. It was 2010. Oh, of course, yeah. And so we, were at, we were at this cast party at a friend's house and we borrowed their desktop PC... Wow. And pulled up YouTube. Which yep. was five years old. Which was only time. five years old. HTTP. <laughs> 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 so that we could watch um, scenes from Young Frankenstein in mm. the middle of a party. Like, that's the kind of party animals that we <laughs> Yeah. That is so wholesome. That's so wholesome. That's really like, wholesome. That's, that's why we're now married, like, ten yeah. years later. <laughs> that's it. That's ba- you, basically how it happens. You're, you're married <laughs> as well. Too. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no. Yeah. And, you know, on, on our wedding night, I came in and went... Threw my shoes off. I would never put that past you. Especially with the little, like, fluffy slippers like she had. Yeah. I could see you doing that. 